Looks like some kind of insect. It's a bee. Bee? A bee? Slow down now. What plane and what's dangerous? Bees, Scotty. Killer bees. Do you have any idea what those bees can do? Welcome to Killer Bees. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast that profiles B-movie and genre film stars. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Tori Potenza. We can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at gmail.com, and on moviejohn.com. That's J-A-W-N, the Philadelphia John. We are Killer BS Podcast everywhere. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider, and our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And today, we're talking about Casey Lemons. Yes, we are. Uh, not Cassie Lemons, as we mistakenly pronounced her yes. name last episode. So, yeah, Google we, is bad at this. Yeah, we just Googled it, and it like kind of does that like Google pronunciation thing, and it said Cassie, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was doing the actual research, and IMDb told me it was pronounced Casey, and then I actually did proper research and listened to a couple podcasts and interviews that introduced her. So it is, in fact, Casey Lemons. So we apologize for the mispronunciation Apologies from last week. to Miss Lemons. Yes, we, we definitely apologize. And this is a lesson that sometimes you should do better homework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we will hopefully not make this mistake again. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk about Casey. Yes. Uh, yeah, before we do that, uh, is there any films uh, you would like to talk about that we've watched lately? Uh, I mean, I finished up my grand watch of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, which I enjoyed a great deal. I really liked the last movie in the series, White Heaven and Hell. Um, that was directed by a different director than most of the other entries, who was like a horror movie director. Mm -hmm. So that movie has like kind of a cool horror movie feel to it and an awesome like finale. Uh, really liked it as like the end of the series, and then um, we watched. Uh, I mean, you kind of watched it with me. Um, Shogun Assassin, which is like yeah. a sort of remix, re-edit of the first two uh, Lone Wolf and uh, Baby, Lone Wolf and Cub movies. I was like thinking that the other titles Wolf are Baby, Baby Cart. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, no apologies to Lone Wolf and Cub and Shogun Assassin. I did not sleep at all because I was worried about my dog and had a crazy coughing fit in the middle of the night. So yeah. I fell asleep when we were watching it, but. The, of what I watched, it was super entertaining, and I haven't really watched these with Garrett because I didn't necessarily think like I was totally interested, and now I probably would like to watch them. I think you would dig uh, them. Yeah. Um, I saw part of like the third movie, maybe, with you, yeah. and that was pretty fun. And I mean, Shogun Assassin is essentially just like a recut and compilation of like a lot of the action scenes yeah. of the movies, so I just saw how gory and bloody and crazy it was, and it's definitely up my alley, so yeah. yeah. They, it, like they turn that movie turns this story into just like a road movie of endless duels, yeah. you know, and Which it's is very cool. it's pretty cool, yeah. and it's got this amazing score, like mm -hmm. this just really incredible kind of almost like chip tuny, but like it's like a dirge and it has like some hip hop beats. It was really good, yeah. um, so I, I enjoyed that a great deal. Yeah. Um. What uh? What do you what do you got on uh, your plate there? Um. Uh, this past week, I watched a film from 1998 called Traps, uh, which is a female-directed rape-revenge film um, that I was really excited to hear about. Um, Alexander Heller Nichol Nicholson Nicholas uh, told me about it. it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I always just want there to be like one less syllable or one more. I don't know why. Uh, she's wonderful. Uh, yeah. She's like a does like a lot of like awesome work. Um, I have her book on rape revenge. I have her book on like a thousand women in horror. I have her book on giallo. So she's just like an amazing researcher. And uh, I'm lucky that I've talked to her. She actually sent me a copy of this movie, but unfortunately it did not have subtitles. And this film is from uh, is a Czech film. Mm. Uh, so I ended up just buying a DVD that I found um it's really really good um 
especially like a female rape revenge like done in the 90s I was very excited about um, and has definitely like I think helped with some of my research uh, as I'll be writing about this sooner rather than later that's good um, so yeah I'm like really really stoked yeah this is one of the ones that I was like yeah go ahead watch that and then when you were done with it you were like it was really good and I was like oh, damn it I should watch that one with you yeah uh, which we own it so you can yes yeah um, and then this weekend we also watched uh, a film that just came on Shutter called Psycho Gorman yes. which we were really excited to see because we know most of our friends like seem to love this movie uh and it was really fun and it was really funny <laughs> i loved psycho gorman yeah really good i thought it was really fun it i mean so i this year have taken a huge interest in something called tokusatsu uh which is uh, like what power rangers is uh, like it's the genre that power rangers is basically it's a japanese genre of like children's t- children programming kind yeah. of um, but usually it's, monsters and robots and yeah. people in costumes and, yeah exactly yeah. it's just a lot of karate and people in uh you know like just like goofy costumes mm. and monsters and rubber suits and you know but anyway so it's like this movie psycho gorman is kind of like in the tradition of tokusatsu it also has like like there's a moment that there's all these like kind of like monster creatures sitting at a table and a lot of them looked like doctor who characters yes. too so it's it does have this it's like that kind of rubber suits yeah like, yeah uh handcrafted yeah. yeah and um very funny mm-hmm. uh i really thought the script was funny and the girl that plays mimi the main character mm-hmm. is incredible and Mimi might be my favorite character in a movie this year that I've seen she's really great um and yeah Psycho Gorman is a a cool character he's a a big uh queer hunky boy that we we love yeah so it's I I was gonna say like how do I even describe this movie it's it's like just about a couple of kids that meet like an alien yeah they st- they like stumble in their pond like in their backyard like a i guess prison that this uh alien thing is in um and he's been imprisoned because he will destroy the world if he is released uh and these kids find a way to control him uh and kind of use him to be like their friend and yeah. plaything. uh yeah. and you know and chaos ensues yes then then the universe comes for psycho gorman yeah and, uh yeah, know, everybody gets caught up in the crossfire, especially Dad, who is so fucking funny. Yeah, the parent characters are really great in this. Yeah, because like if I mean, did did it strike you this way? The parents struck me as being like probably about our age. Yeah, and yeah. it felt like they acted like millennials that were yeah. also parents. Yeah, and I really liked that uh, that read. That was like there very were moments funny. I was like, oh, I would probably act like this if I were a parent. Yeah, it, <laughs> I thought that was very funny and interestingly, I don't know, kind of unique. I feel like I don't see you know it doesn't feel to me like our generation is reflected as parents on screen that much yeah um but maybe i'm just watching the wrong movies um but yeah psycho gorman super fun very funny uh highly recommend from both of us and Mm -hmm. it's on shutter right now yeah yeah Yeah. all good stuff it's it's the same team that made that movie the void uh which was kind of popular a couple years back yeah Um, and they've done a bunch of other stuff but that's the one that i'm familiar with yeah uh, you want to start talking about Casey? Yeah, let's talk about Casey. I'm very excited. So, yeah, uh, if you don't know who Casey Lemons is, uh, she is or, like, was, I guess she's mostly retired from acting. Um, she only has, like, 32 acting credits to date, uh, but she's also a director. So she has 11 directing credits and four writing credits uh, as well um, and started directing in the 90s, which is, like, kind of amazing for, like, a black woman to, to have, like, some really interesting films uh and more recently her film uh harriet was nominated uh for some some awards in 29 for 2019 yeah uh which i've heard great things about yes. that movie yeah uh, multiple people have recommended it to me as i've told them we're doing this episode yeah um so she is really awesome um so i have a quote here at the top that i uh thought was really awesome from one of her interviews um she said i had a big dream that i was very intent on vigor vigorously fulfilling uh that's the way I lived it. I'm an artist. I know my history. I know my roots. I know I can be an artist. Of course, I'm a minority, but that makes it interesting. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that she's like kind of actively trying to define herself outside of her minority status, Mm -hmm. basically. That's, That's really nice. Um, so Casey Lemons was born February 24th, 1961 in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, she was born to Karen. Uh, she was born Karen Lemons. Uh, so that was uh, her name when she was uh, a kid. Uh, she has been married to Vondi Curtis Hall since August 19th, 1995, and they have two children. Um, 
She, her parents, uh, her mother was a counselor and a psychiatrist, and her father was a biology biology teacher. Uh, she mostly was raised in Boston, Massachusetts, which nice. is my hometown. Um, <clears throat> I have a note here. Um, on the show Finding Your Roots from 2012, she discovered that her um, paterlineal, so like her, on her father's side, uh, great 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 grandfather was likely born in Africa and was bought was brought to the United States in the early 1800s. His son Primus uh, believed the family name to have already been Lemons or a variation in Africa, which hmm. I thought was like an interesting um, note on her name and lineage. Yeah. Um. And then I have a, a note here, just kind of uh, some quotes from her about going from acting to directing, because I think that'll be kind of interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, I was having a pretty good time in my acting career. I clearly wasn't getting famous, but I was working and I was supporting myself. Um, but I was unfulfilled and decided to make a move and do something because I had been writing since I was a kid. I really do consider myself a writer, and I started writing plays and scenes for friends to do in acting class. Um, I thought, okay, this is interesting. This is something I can do for the rest of my my life at uh, at the same time i really wanted to create a meaning on a meaningful level um and that was hard as an actor because the parts that i was getting at the time or that were available to me were the black best friend of the lead um i started to feel like i was running a fever and that there was things i needed to express and that if i didn't then it would somehow sicken me that i was going to suffer for not expressing myself fully um so yeah i mean casey lemon's uh speaks pretty openly about the experience of like a lot of black actors actors and actresses of like the kinds of roles they get and this was something that they talked a lot about in the documentary uh, horror noir which we really loved um and they were just saying like yeah i mean you mostly get cast as like the sidekick the best friend of the main character who's of course a white woman um and so it, i think it's really interesting yeah what what is the woman's name that's in the craft Do you know uh, Rachel True right yeah. she was like very outspoken yes. in the documentary horror noir about like i only ever got to play somebody's friend yeah i'm i'm ju- i was only ever got to be the black friend yeah. uh and that's a very you know sad but interesting kind yeah. of like truth about uh uh, you know, also this like interesting period in American history too, where it seems like culturally in the '90s we were trying to like move towards this like we're really becoming like a post-racist mm. country, and it's like right because you're letting black people be in movies, but they're still only the friend, they're still only yeah. the sidekick. They're you know, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, and even now like when things are opening up for for you know folks who are minorities and stuff it's like still limited and there's yeah. still work to be done so yeah. it's it's funny to think that then they were like yeah we're doing it we're here yeah, yeah. um and rachel true is really cool i feel like we should do her at some point oh, um she you. actually has a tarot deck that came out recently that oh. we were selling at the shop that's cool yeah i know <laughs> i was like it was like the true tarot and someone mentioned like oh that's rachel true and i was like weird shit awesome what a, what yeah. a great marketing ploy on I her know. part I so love cool um, and then I have a note here that says, for Lemons, the progression of her career was the natural conclusion of a childhood in Boston theater, film school in New York, auditions in L.A., and years of constant writing. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so her first roles were in the 60s and 70s. So in 1964, she had her first on-screen appearance, which was in a TV show called Another World, um, which the plot of that is the life in the Midwestern town of Bay City and the love, loss, trials, and triumphs of its residents who come from different backgrounds and social circles. Hmm. Um, just interested in the idea that there's a Midwestern town called Bay City. I know. The, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Um, and then her first film role did not come until 15 years later in 1979, wow. and she was in a TV film called The Eleventh Victim, uh, which is about an anchor woman from Iowa who goes to Hollywood to search for the truth about the murder of her sister. The sister is the eleventh victim of a serial killer. Wow. Sounds up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she starts working in the 80s, so um, she was... She did a lot of TV. She did uh, ABC after school specials. Who uh, didn't among the actors? I know. That Every we time talk I about. like, I'm like, yes, another one. Yeah. Uh, she had a recurring role on As the World Turns, and she was also in the Cosby Show. Um, well, she was in the Cosby Show. That's yeah, true. I watched I a lot of Cosby Show growing up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think she had a recurring role in that, um, but makes sense for like you know yeah. black actors, especially at that time, oh, to yeah. be be guesting on that show. Um, 
Then in 1986, she does a TV movie called Adam's Apple, uh, which didn't really have any IMDb information when I looked it up. Um, And then in 1988, she had a small role in School Days, which was directed by uh, Spike Lee and starred Lawrence Fishburne and... uh, Giancarlo yeah. Esposito, mm-hmm. uh, who people would be familiar with as Gus Fring uh, from uh, Breaking Bad. He's amazing, and now he's also in oh, Star uh, Wars. Mandalorian. Of course, of course, yeah, yes. Plays uh, more you know, people would probably be a bad guy that, right? in the Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, so I've never seen School Days. I don't think that you have either. No, we talked about watching it, but then we wanted to like make time for movies that she had bigger roles in. Yes. Um, That's really so. the only reason we didn't watch it yeah. because I think you and I are both pretty interested in Spike's filmography. Yes, um, but uh, yeah, we we opted for some other stuff. Yeah, uh, and it, it sounds pretty fun. Um, I would really like to see it. There's a pretty famous like GIF. I can't believe that in the year 2021, that's how we refer to things now. I know. A pretty famous GIF of Giancarlo from this movie. Oh, interesting. Um, I'll show it to you later. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I have seen that. Um, and then in the same year, she was plays Jackie in Vampire's Kiss, which was directed by Robert uh, Bierman and stars Nicolas Cage, Maria Conchita, Alonso, and Jennifer Beals, uh, which is a movie that we did watch. We watched this movie, and I loved this movie. I, I did have, not. I know, I know. <laughs> I have been wanting to see this movie for a very long time. I'm sure listeners already know I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. I love the man's work. I think it's really interesting. This is kind of, if you are familiar with the meme of Nicolas Cage, this movie is one of the big sources of that. This has the scene where he's screaming the alphabet at somebody. Uh, it has the scene where he's running through the streets saying, he's a va- I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. Uh, it's It's got a lot of his famous kind of freak out scenes. Um, so what I was surprised to find when we watched it was that it is not, in fact, a just like goofy, silly comedy, which was the impression I had gotten fr- from mm. it and its cultural reputation, but is, in my opinion, like a fairly serious minded, although funny, it's, pretty it's a dark. dark comedy. It's, yeah. It is a comedy, but it's very dark. And I think is a pretty serious minded movie about like men who have power tend to be repressed freaks that end up doing fucked up shit because they and usually taking it out on women. Um, because they are mm-hmm. such repressed freaks. Um, yeah, and, and the I, women in the movie are all like, you know, I mean, we have uh, Jennifer Beals, yep. we have Maria Conchita, who's like his secretary, uh, and then um, uh, K- uh, Casey Lemons yep. plays like a, a girl that he like kind of goes on a few dates with. Yeah, right. Uh, and then kind of is like sidelined. And, yeah, like, she's only in like the first half of the movie. Yeah, uh, which felt weird. Uh, I don't. It felt. I don't know. You were like, oh yeah, that made sense to me. But yeah. I felt like she was gonna have more of a role in it, and then they like are like, nope, that's over. Yeah, no. I mean, it made sense to me in the larger context of the mm. movie, where it's pretty clear that this guy like just goes out and meets women, and yeah. then like just dumps them basically. Yeah. And that really the only reason she's even in it for a couple of Mm -hmm. dates in the first place is that he's like maybe trying to like, you know, work some things out with himself and like Mm. prove to himself that he can maybe like commit to somebody or whatever, which, you know, is just a big failing thing that he ends up, you know, like Mm -hmm. a failing journey that he's on in the movie. Um, So like in the like the larger context of the movie, it made sense to me. I do think I understand what you're saying about like watching a movie and having a character appear like fairly significantly and prominently Mm. for like 30 minutes and then just like not really be a main player in the movie. Yeah, because at first I thought she wasn't going to be a main player, and then they showed her in like two more scenes, right. and I was like, "Oh, so she's in this she's movie." She's going to be like threaded throughout, and this then plot. that was it. And yeah, I was yeah. like, "Weird." Um, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It's like you know, POC women and like uh, like a pretty diverse cast yeah. overall. Um, you know, his uh, secretary, like you get to meet like her family a little bit too, yeah. and it's obvious like she still lives with her folks. And uh, I mean, it, it, I there's some interesting ideas in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but I think I had a hard time just like watching him berate this like young Hispanic woman that works for him yeah, yeah. for like the whole movie. Oh yeah, it's like it's, it's really rough, really hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely don't disagree with that. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, this does not uh, this will have no effect on your opinion and shouldn't. But it's, yeah. I do think that's like intentional, right? Like I think yes, that is in is. the intent of the story. Yeah. Um, but that does not make it easier yeah, it to watch. Yeah, doesn't mean I like it yeah, yeah, or right, want right, to watch right. it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it is. Uh, I I think it's very easy to. I, I can be very forgiving of people who are like I'm not into it. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, 
Cage is doing some really wild shit. Yeah. Like he's literally doing almost like kabuki theater as this character, you yeah. know, like he's he's really doing crazy stuff. And uh, he's even doing like a weird voice that I'm not even sure. Like, I think maybe he's trying to link their performance to Bella's performance. And that's why he's doing that weird voice. But I don't even really know because it's not quite a Bella voice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because then like, they're also kind of like uh, paralleling it with Nosferatu. So right. it's like, oh, is it supposed to be more a Nosferatu thing? Right. But ultimately, you kind of find out his character is more of a Renfield character right. in it all, yes, which yes. is like oh, really weird. Right. Th- this movie, by the way, is about, if you don't know this movie, Nicolas Cage plays like a, some kind of like finance executive or something, right? Like he's just like a he, finance pro. I think he, from what I understand, is that they work in like some sort of publishing. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they're looking for like some Somebody's contract. Contract for like a a thing a that was uh, yeah right? that was sold yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. believe so yeah something like that yeah, yeah. and uh, and and it's just like you know um, living alone in an apartment in New York City I think it's New York City picking up women picking up women going out yeah. on dates blah 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 but basically uh, you know, going to therapy. We, this is why we think in early in the movie, like maybe he's trying to like better himself. Yeah, he's and, like obviously a toxic dude that's like trying to get some, I don't know, some sort of help. It's right. not really working. Well, but... and I think by the end of the movie, I don't yeah. know if he's actually. I don't think he's actually getting help. You know. Yeah. Um. But um, and and the basically he gets bit by a vampire. He thinks he gets bit by a vampire. He has yeah. this encounter with a woman that he thinks is a vampire. He's pretty certain he's becoming a vampire. And gets he thinks he gets bitten by this woman and thinks he's becoming a vampire. Yeah. And so then. Really what the movie is about is essentially him excusing his own horrible toxic behavior mm-hmm. with the guise of, well, I've been bitten and I'm becoming a vampire. Yeah. You know, and so and then as it goes on, we find out that like this may not be the only delusion that he's living under. Yeah. Um and, and uh, you know, it in my opinion, this movie feels like it was probably an inspiration for the book American Psycho. The movie of which is much better than the book. So this is not a comparison to that movie. I quite like Mary Heron's movie. But I would say that this is actually a better version, uh, in my opinion, of the story American Psycho as written in that book. Um, It's a very similar story, I think, about, you know, these men with power and how just repressed and strange they are. I mean, I don't think anything about this is better than any version of American Psycho. But (laughs) I I personally do. Uh, But yeah, there's there's definitely some interesting ideas going on. It's very obvious he's supposed to be this toxic guy and that we're not supposed to think of him as like a good guy or a hero. But like, it was it just felt. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was so great. And Cage is like amazing in it. He's so fun and funny and weird and doing some really interesting stuff, I think. But Casey is also very good in this movie. She is. To my knowledge, now I've seen a couple other Casey movies. I don't necessarily have like strong memories of her and other stuff. So this was like, to my knowledge, like kind of my first Casey experience. And I thought she was like so good, like immediately. Um, The way they bring her into the story, you're like, Again, it's like early in the movie, you kind of think like, oh, yeah, he's going on. You know, you're like kind of excited for him to have met this woman. And what, and she's like very charming. Yeah. And like, uh, but then, you you know, by the third time that he's like calling her to apologize and stuff, you're like, I was literally screaming like, no, Casey, no, stop. Don't listen to him. Yeah, I mean, she she really is like so good so early on that you're, it's like kind of surprising that like more people weren't like, oh, this is like a great yeah. person to work with. And like, you know. I mean, it's great that she moved to uh, writing and directing because yeah. that's like such a passion for her. But you're like, she's a great actress too, and she's it's like really sad good. that she uh, yeah. didn't get uh, more of a career uh, yeah. being so good. She, frankly, she pops for me more than any of the other women in this movie, and that's no shade to the other women in this movie. They're all very good, but like, she is the female character in this movie that really like, pops off the screen. Yeah. Um. Cool. So then, yeah, we get to her career in the '90s. So for TV, she did stuff like Murder She Wrote and Walker Texas Ranger. Uh-huh. Some some more that we've definitely uh, brought probably up. means I have seen her in some other shows as I have watched both of those shows. Yeah. Uh, in 1990, she does a TV movie called The Court Martial of Jackie Robinson, starring Andre Brower as Jackie Robinson. What? Who I love. So we much. Love Andre Brower from uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's so funny. Uh, I would love to see him because I know he's like more known for being a dramatic actor. Yeah. Um, and also then, um, fascinated yeah. that Daniel Stern and Bruce Stern are also in this movie. I know. I was like Dern and Stern. Yeah. <laughs> love both of those uh, actors. Yeah. Um, he then do- uh, she then does a TV movie called The Great Los Angeles Earthquake, starring Ed Begley Jr. Who we've talked about. Who we before. have talked about. Uh, I think on uh, Harry Dean's episode, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. He a very young uh, yes. Ed Begley was in Cockfight. That's right. That's right. Um, and then in 1991, she is in Silence of the Lambs uh, as uh, 
Ardelia Map, uh, I believe is her character's name, uh, which I've seen Silence of the Lambs so many times, and I definitely like remember her face in this. Um, is she the, like the friend yes. of? Uh, um, now I can't think. Jodie Foster. Foster. Yeah. Okay. So um, you know, I kind of remember then. Yeah, I mean, this like ends up kind of being a big deal that she's in this like highly like acclaimed film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she's like the other friend in the FBI with her that right. kind of like helps her talk through the cases. So I I did watch a scene from this where like she actually kind of is there to help like crack a big part of the case after Hannibal Lecter has escaped, I believe. Okay, interesting, um, yeah. And they're kind of going through, like, Lecter's notes and things that he had. Um, and there's, yeah, it's, like, this intense scene where it's just close-ups of their face as they're going back and forth and, like, figuring out what's going on. And she's great in it. Uh, but, yeah, again, this is, when she talks about being sidelined, this is definitely, like, the big one for yeah. that. Uh, yeah. A, a movie that gets so much acclaim and recognition and ultimately, like, her part in it is so small. Yes. You would be forgiven if you're me and go, like, Casey Lemons is in that movie yeah you know what i mean like yeah. it's and yeah that is really unfortunate yeah um yeah this and then one other movie which we'll talk about pretty yeah. soon um she then does a film called the five heartbeats which is the story of the rise and fall of an african-american vocal group uh directed by robert townsend oh, okay that's interesting um she then does a tv movie called before the storm aka the company two <laughs> what the fuck like how, like sure how is the aka a sequel title i know I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1992, she does a TV movie called Afterburn, starring Afterburn. Uh, Laura Dern and Robert Loggia. Robert Loggia. Every time I see that, I'm like, oh, I'm no I know what his name actually is, but I want to pronounce it something different. Logie. Logie. Logia. Yeah, uh, obviously love Laura Dern, and I'm a big Robert Loggia fan. I yeah. think it's like always wonderful when he pops up and stuff. Yeah. Uh, would watch. Uh, and then she, her other big role, uh, where she is again, kind of like the best friend, is yes. in Candyman. She plays Bernadette Walsh. Uh, yeah. So Candyman, directed by Bernard Rose, and it was written by Clive Barker. Um, this is a film that I love and uh, was I really memorable because we saw this as a double feature um, with horror noir, and then they showed us Candyman, yeah. uh, which like, oh god, this movie's so good. Tony Todd legitimately gives me goosebumps the minute he comes on screen there's that scene where he like accosts her in the parking garage and i get chills like even now just talking about it so when we saw this we saw it at an exhumed film screening and so we got to see i'm pretty sure it was a 35 millimeter print Mm -hmm. if i remember right yeah and so we got to see it loud and large on the screen which makes a difference (laughs) oh because i remember i didn't see this movie in my youth but i remember this vhs tape being scary yeah uh, being scared of the cover and stuff yeah this and hellraiser scared the shit out of me at the movies i can't imagine had i seen this on vhs or on hbo when i was a kid i would have found it as powerful as i did in that theater i agree i mean i had seen it before and i i think only the first time like a few years before this but like i remember being like yeah Candyman was fun it you know I'm now not as afraid of it just based on the cover as I used to be as a child. But like, uh, it wasn't until that we were sitting there in the theater watching this that I was like, holy shit, this movie is incredible. Because like the sound design, the way Tony Todd's voice comes through the speakers and feels like it's surrounding you. Like you can't actually tell what direction it's coming from. Yeah. And then it's got that incredible Philip Glass score, which is like really, really amazing. Yeah. uh, And gives it such a unique atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Like it is a remarkable movie. Like I I love this movie. And one of the things I really love about this movie is... uh, Um, you know, it has a lot to do with like urban legends and like there's like this folklore element to it of like, you know, his whole story is like being this like slave that like falls in love with this woman and then is like murdered. And so it's like, it's, yeah, it's like an urban legend that is rooted in like American racism. Yeah. And then like it is set in, uh, I think Chicago. Uh, and you know, it, cuts to um the leads why am i blanking on virginia madsen oh yeah 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 uh and um her partner at school is um casey lemon's character and they're working i believe on their masters they're like right. working on like urban legends and like trying to find like more information about Candyman, which is like this this big one that a lot of people know and it it kind of is like a bloody mary like saying yeah. his name in the mirror um 
but it's like really interesting because it's about this like it's a white woman and a black woman but this black woman is also pretty affluent because she's like going to school she has some money she's working on a master's and then going into like a ghetto yeah. and kind of like disturbing the the peace there yeah. and then bringing about this like you know evil yeah. <laughs> this like urban legend uh, and there's there's just so much going on as far as like race and uh, gender and like social dynamics um well there's that uh there's that really interesting thing early in the movie where because they're in this specific uh like tenement building uh is where most of the movie is like located and focused and they make a point early in the movie that they built two of these tenement buildings and one of them just because of their locations they were built on blocks like right next to each other but because of the way those blocks get divided in chicago one of those is a white neighborhood and one is a black neighborhood. Yep. And the one in the white neighborhood has been maintained nicely for decades. And the one in the black neighborhood yeah. is literally crumbling. Yeah. Uh, and they make this like very distinct parallel where uh, there's that great scene. I mean, it, it's like one of the famous images mm-hmm. from the movie where Virginia Madsen is in one of the apartments on the, you know, the black neighborhood side. Yeah. And she like basically walks through a mirror mm. and the other side is this graffiti of like a black man with his mouth yeah, open it's like really candy wide. Man. Yep. Yeah. And she like comes out of his mouth into literally the other side of the mirror, you know, yeah. like it's so interesting the way this movie is layered with issues of class and race and in particular, just sort of like, you know, uh, uh, class structure in a capitalist society, specifically yeah. like America, you know, it's like, it, it, it yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the main woman, uh, is her, the character's name is Helen. Yeah. And, uh, there's so many, like you're, when you watch this movie, you're just like, Oh, this is the protagonist, but right. she's doing like stuff that is like just that harmful, like, you know, liberal white woman yeah. shit that like is problematic and she's just inserting herself. She's not really doing anything that is like helpful in this community. She's kind of just using them to get her dissertation and get information from them, which is really fucked up. She's treating them like a curiosity. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a uh, girls guts and Diallo uh, podcast episode that talks about Candyman, and she, does such a great job of diving into some of the gender and racial dynamics, um, especially with Casey Lemon's character. Um, and I just wouldn't be able to do it justice here. I, I, uh, I definitely feel Candyman yeah. is a movie I'm very unequipped to, yeah. I think, like investigate in major ways. But yes. I but I think that it's one of the reasons it's a great movie is because this stuff is right there. Yeah. It's it's not um, you know, it's not this movie's not metaphorical, but it's like it's not like you don't have to dig very deep necessarily to see this stuff. Like it's right there on the surface of this yeah. movie. And so even as a white audience member, you watch it and you have to think about these things. Yeah. You have to confront these things. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is one of the things I think is great about the movie. And she's great in the movie. She's really uh, great. She is just such a tremendous screen presence. Like I she know. really like and you know, she, I, I think, multiple times in her career, plays these kind of like I, I would suspect difficult black female characters to play, mm. right? Because they're not, they're often pretty complicated characters, as you suggested. Mm. She is meant to be an affluent character in this, mm-hmm. who is potentially contributing to some of the damage that's happening in this yeah. movie. Um, and yeah, I, I, she's just played some interesting kind of complicated characters. Yeah. That I, I, yeah, I'm fascinated by her on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a couple notes from her. She said. Um, one thing is just like in reading the script, I saw that he was a black guy with a good backstory. And that was like one of the <laughs> things that like really drew her to this. And then she also talks about Tony Todd and she goes, we, we thought he was totally scary. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Very tall, just a real beautiful and handsome man. But Candyman is pretty scary. I thought he was very impressive. I liked the wardrobe and the way the character was portrayed. When you're in a horror film, it's uh, when you're in a horror film, it's not scary, which is really funny. That makes sense to um, me. But yeah. he, I mean, yeah, that like, wait, it's like, big trench coat that he wears right yeah. like yeah man really cuts like a very scary like silhouette basically yeah. you know yeah uh Candyman is such a, a romantic villainous yes. character which I really think about a lot when it comes to this movie it's a very interesting element of this movie yeah yeah um she then does the same year, 92, does a film called Fear the Black Hat, uh, which was directed by and starred uh, Rusty Cundeef, who um, we watch another one of his films for Rucker Hauer, right? 
What did we watch? No, what? no, no. Sorry, I lied about that. We didn't watch one of his films. Um, but there, I know there was one like we had talked about that he. Well, I uh, believe had done. is Tales from the Hood. Rusty Cundiff. Yes. Uh, Am I right yeah. about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, is, the reason you and I know him so well is because of horror noir. Yes. So um, he talks about. He's one of the big the personalities and, in that movie. Yeah. Um, um, and Fear the Black Hat was pretty interesting. This was one we did watch. Um, yeah, this is kind of another one where Casey is playing like a a woman who's like in higher education yep. and like interviewing this like uh, rap group uh, yeah. who NWH yeah NWH and it ends up becoming a mockumentary in the style of like Spinal Tap yeah. uh, actually a lot of this reminded me of Spinal Tap yeah, when there's we were even watching like it. specific jokes where it feels like he's kind of tipping his hat to that movie yeah for sure uh, literally tipping his hat the whole thing one of the jokes in the movie is that they wear ridiculous hats throughout yeah, the movie the constantly. whole time. Um, yeah, but like I f- was very entertained by this movie. I it's loved a lot this of fun. Um, Casey's playing it straight for the most part yeah. against these like pretty silly like you know rap. I guess like stereotypes they're kind of playing in it. Um, they're all kind of making fun of like another person like in real life in the community. Very much in the style of Spinal Tap, yes. where you could say that Spinal Tap is very much a celebration of hair metal. Yeah. In the way that it critiques hair metal. Yeah. This is a celebration of like 80s, 90s hip hop. Yeah. In the way that it critiques 80s and 90s hip hop. Yeah. Uh, and so Rusty Cundiff is playing essentially an Ice Cube character. Yeah. And what, they he's make literally it, they named make... like Ice Trey or something like that, right? It's like. I can't remember. They do make like a joke too where he's like talking about how all these guys are like copying him. And so then it's a group of guys that it is like. Ice tray, like ice pick, like yeah, all yeah. of these. Uh, I'll find that. Yeah, uh, because yeah, he's. I mean, he's essentially kind of an amalgamation of Ice T and Ice Cube, and so they make the joke that those guys named each other after each other. Part of their feud. Ice cold. Ice cold. That's his character. It's ice cold, tone deaf, and tasty taste. <laughs> yeah, those are the the leads. Uh, and it's a really. I mean, it's just a very funny, very silly comedy. Yeah. Full of, again, just like Spinal Tap, original music that Rusty Cundiff helped write the lyrics fun. for. They, uh, very fun. Yeah. All in the style of the music that yeah. it, the movie's about. Um, very funny songs. Uh, uh, they, they make, uh, they like kind of like make fun of like uh, Spike Lee and um, who's the other director? Oh. There's that whole scene where uh, he is deciding to go into film and he's playing like a cop and one of the guys is like very much like a John Singleton. Yeah, is the John other Singleton. Yeah. yeah. So he's like definitely doing like a making fun of these two. It's very funny. Yeah. I like thought that was a really great scene. I loved that scene. I mean, the and the songs are like the whole thing with uh, Ice Cold is that. So NWA, the the group NWA was, you know, the government like came after them at some point about the content of their music. And so they were constantly having to like intellectualize the content of their music. And so the character Ice Cold is constantly having to intellectualize the content of his music. But his music is literally songs that are called Pussy. Yeah. Uh, And he's going, but but it'll be like, yeah, Pussy, like P as in people, U as in under, S as in society like you know he's like yeah. he's just like trying to like it, it's very funny the way they sort of like make fun of the, it's like the, so when we say stuff. come get the pussy what yeah. we're really saying yes is yes like, it's, get the man or right. something and you're like sure and so then casey's character is very much like she's a college student that's trying to do essentially some kind of dissertation i think she says like on the content of like on the content of like the message in rap lyrics yeah. is like kind of like what yeah, she's like trying to the, get at. the social messaging right and, yeah and, and and which is like to some extent like a noble thing that she's trying to do yeah but also again is like a college student that is trying to capitalize on what's happening in this scene yeah that is maybe trying to uh water it down in some capacity through over intellectualizing yeah. it uh, it, it's really, really we interesting. We never get a read on like how she actually feels about yes. any of this or what's going on because she's a... just playing it straight while she asks these guys questions. And, and they're like fully ridiculous. Yeah. And there's even a joke towards the end of the movie finally where like I kept reading and just because like, by the way, Rusty Cundiff, super cutie as a young man. Like, oh yeah, really good looking very guy. good looking. So funny in this movie and I kept being like, why the fuck isn't she like crushing on this guy? Like I would be if I were her. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, we get like a little scene where it's revealed that like they go on to have kids yeah. together and you're like, okay, yeah, I do. Well, because well, it's like, oh, like, she's too smart for this yeah, guy. Yeah. Like why would, and then you're like, no, she's still falling for it. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's like, I just thought this movie was so fun and funny. I cannot believe I kind of can because I'm from a white suburb, but like I can't believe I have never heard of this movie before. Yeah. No one ever talks about Fear of a Black Hat. And to me, 
it's not as good as Spinal Tap, but like it's not like it's bad. It's not like it's a bad version of that. Yeah, like, it sits no, nicely right alongside yeah. of it. I think has some really funny songs in it that are worth looking mm-hmm. up. Like if you're listening to this, I think it was right available now, on Prime too. Yeah, so you it's can like watch pretty the movie available. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I highly recommend this one. I just like I think about th- I've thought about this movie for like two straight weeks. Yeah, I I I, I sing one of the lyrics in my head constantly uh it, it's just great it's yeah. really funny and yeah kandif is a good director we he haven't is. watched uh tales from the hood yet but no i would, would really like to. like to what is there something else we watched by him by the way because I, I you were right I mean, he came up for us recently again for some reason but I, I can't think of why i feel like on rucker's episode we talked about him a little bit maybe because rucker did a movie with him that we didn't necessarily watch but i know like it was funny that we i felt like we were talking about rusty kandif before we uh decided to do this episode i know yeah we were um. Yeah. Why don't you 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 look that up? We'll... Yeah. Sorry. I'm just no. I guess not. I don't okay. think so. I don't think so. Um. So yeah. And yeah. Ninety two was a big year for her. She did a lot. Uh. Because she also was the same year that she did Hard Target, which was directed by John Woo. It was his first American film. Uh. And it starred Sha- uh, Jean Claude Van Damme and Lance Henriksen, as well as uh. Crap. What's his name? Uh. Moonshine Man. Oh, Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley. Oh, yes. Wilford Brimley yeah. of Bayou Brimley yeah. uh, doing his own slow mo shots as he rides a horse yeah. away from explosions. Yeah. Um, Just incredible. Yeah. And then Casey plays a cop in this movie, yes. uh, which I think is, again, another like interesting, like complicated thing. kind of role. A weird uh, thing that a lot of black actors that we have like done research on end up talking about, which yeah. is just like they kept casting me as cops. Yeah. As if Hollywood needs to be like, hey, we know there's so much racism in policing, so why don't we have our police characters be, yeah. be black? Yeah. You know what um, I mean? It's, yeah. It's really strange. Yeah. I think so too. But like, I think sometimes there is some like interesting like social commentary. Yeah. That comes along with that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's like so much a black landsman kind of ends up dealing yes. with that. Um, but yeah, she's great in this movie. Uh, unfortunately, her character gets uh, killed off uh, like midway through the movie. As, uh, but as she's fantastic. Tends to happen with these black characters. I know. Movies. But like she, I mean, it's like in this big shoot off, and she like does like get to kill a couple of these dudes yeah, she before does. she dies. And gets a nice dramatic John Woo death. Yes, she gets. Yes, which like that's you know? I guess the highest honor in a John Woo I movie so. is a dramatic death. Yeah. Um. Oh, this movie's so fun. We like. I we're kind of just discovering Van. Damme. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't really seen any of his movies either, until really. like recently. Which is weird because I grew up on yeah. this kind of like dumb action yeah. stuff but I had seen like no Van Damme yeah. until Time Cop recently. And I love John Woo. I've only seen the first two Mission Impossible movies yeah. but so far the second one is my favorite. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> Extremely good opinion. <laughs> the first one was really boring. The second one's goofy as shit and I loved every minute of Extremely it. Extremely great opinion. Stay off Twitter. Don't ever tell anyone this. <laughs> I know. It's it's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, so glad to watch another John movie, Woo movie. It's like set in New Orleans, which is really interesting. Really interesting. Also connected to our Rucker Hauer episode in the fact that this is another manhunt movie, yeah. very similar to Surviving the Game, except instead of it just being like this group of dudes, it's kind of like a Lance Henriksen's business is like going from different countries and like cities and getting like all these homeless people and letting other rich people murder them there's like way more of a like black ops conspiracy happening in the in the world of rich people yeah where like surviving the game is just like hey you know what white people with money want to do fucking hunt black people you know what i mean like yeah yeah it like that movie actually feels like grounded in some way comparatively to this one yeah Uh, which is not a strange thing to say about a john woo movie his movies are not grounded not at Um, all that's why we love them yeah uh full of sparks doves and saxophones yeah everyone's amazing in this movie everyone's super fun yeah wilford brimley comes in like towards the end of the movie he's like drunk on moonshine riding a horse creole accent that he definitely does not have in real life yeah this is an incredible movie yeah this is a movie that like when i told my group chat that i was like damn we just watched hard target i had the best time of my life they were all like yeah but that's like not even the best john woo movie and i had to be like okay you guys don't know what you're talking about it's definitely not the best john woo movie but like what do we compare like what are we talking about because like I, I do kind of get it, right? This movie's like a steady escalation. Yeah. It starts, and for like the first half hour, you're like, this is exactly what I expected. It's yeah. like a 90s VHS rental yeah. that is like kind of low grade. It's like not bad, but it's just like kind of- Once 
we get fun. to the bayou. Yes. Like once we move from the city landscape to the bayou where they're all trying to go after Van Damme's character, it's like fucking great. It, I mean, the last half hour of this movie is just incredible. Yeah. Basically. Van Damme punches a snake. Yeah. It like ends up in like a warehouse full of like the stuff for like parades. Like we assume Mardi Gras and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, just a huge shootout. Lots of people on fire. We get a Lance Henriksen on fire. Lance Henriksen definitely does his own on fire stunt. Yes. His jacket is on fire and we watch him take it off in slow motion while for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. I, I really loved this I movie. Did too. I mean, I actually, like, it's one of those things where I totally get why my friends were like, yeah, it's like, it's fine. Because really, the first half of the movie takes a while to get Also, to stop ruining our fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I just mean, like, it takes a little while to build to the yeah. true insanity of it. Yeah. But I really appreciated kind of that whole escalation. Like, yeah. in retrospect, the way this movie ramps itself up and up and up to the point that you get to that finale. And Wilford Brimley is riding horses in slow motion as things explode behind him. Yeah, he just lights all the moonshine on fire. With a arrow on his back. Like... It is incredible. God, it's uh, so nice. And, uh, you know, A, it's a Van Damme movie where he does no splits. And I think some people would tell you that's uh, something that is wrong with the movie. And what I would tell you is it just is trying to make up for the fact that he never does any splits in the movie. He just instead, does that many more kicks. Yeah, he's doing, like, <laughs> incredible, crazy roundhouse yeah. kicks. Like, There's a lot of, like, crotch shots in yep. this movie, which is really hilarious. Yeah, people, like, grabbing each other's dicks and, like, pulling on them and stuff. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure he shoves a grenade down Lance Henriksen's pants yeah, towards sure. the end. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just, like, so entertaining. And, like... Lance Henriksen, also a character that, like, in the beginning of the movie, you're like, yeah, you're doing a very good, like, Lance Henriksen performance. And by the end of the movie, you're like, you're fully insane in this movie. You have committed to this in yeah. a way that I did not imagine you would. And it is wildly entertaining. Yeah. I just had the best time watching this. Like, yeah. this is the most fun I've had watching a movie in a little while. It's amazing. Yeah. Loved every minute of it. I, I just, I we need to own it. Kino Lorber just announced they're putting a nice, uh, I think, 4K Blu-ray out of it. So yeah. uh, we will definitely be owning As this it and deserves. re-watching it soon. Yeah. On our new TV. <laughs> yeah, because I loved it. Um, in 1994, she does a sci-fi film called Override, a.k.a. Perverse Destiny. Okay, that movie should be called its a.k.a. title. Yeah, that right off Perverse the bat. Destiny. Would much rather so watch good. Perverse Destiny. And uh, did not know she was in a sci-fi movie. Would like to watch that. Yeah. Um, then she does a film called Drop Squad with Vin Rames, a political satire about the underground militant group that kidnaps African-Americans who have sold out their race. Whoa, that sounds very intense. Yeah. Also, I believe it's actually written into the American Constitution that if Vin Rames is in your movie, it has to be called Drop Squad. Mm, yes. The only movies with Vin Rames can be called Drop yes. Squad. If they star anybody Obviously. else, they can't be called Drop Squad. Um, in 1995, she does a film called Zoo Man, which is a drama starring Charles C. Dutton, who we uh, recently watched him in Surviving the Game. Charles S. Dutton. Oh, S. Dutton, yes. And uh, Louise uh, Gossett Jr. His name might be Lewis, but I'm not sure. Lou E. Louie. Lou. Lou. His name's Lou. Lou, okay. Lou Gossett Jr. That, okay. I think that's how he's normally called. Sorry, I, when you said Louise, I was like, I don't think that's his name, but then I'm looking at it and I'm going like, but I've never seen this name either. It's I, I believe he's often credited as the Lou Gossett Jr., okay. I think. In 1997, uh, she directs her first film, uh, which is Eve's Bayou, uh, the, and it stars Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, and we watched this movie because it's been on my list for a really long time. Um, and it, I loved it. Uh, I also just want to get the names of the other characters because uh, there's a lot of good actors in this movie. Uh, Journey uh, Smollett, yep. uh, who we recently saw in Birds of Prey, uh, she's like very young in this, and she's really great. Uh, Megan Good is fantastic. Lynn Whitfield plays the mom. Yeah. Debbie Morgan plays their aunt, who's mm -hmm. like kind of mm -hmm. this. Uh, she's like kind of a medium. Well, um, right. Yes. Oh, what a great character. Yeah. Uh, it is such a weird film, just in the sense that it like is not at all what I expected it's I thought it was like it comes up as like black horror a lot of times yeah. and there are horror, horror elements in the movie but it's much more of like a folklore and um, like magical realism yeah. and it's like like soap opera-y not in like a bad way but like it like there is this like drama and this like romance that like is pretty big in the forefront of the film yeah. um it's fantastic. I can't believe this is the first film that she directed. I cannot believe this is the first. Um, oh, she wrote this film also. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, this is a, like an incredible feature debut. Yes. Because uh, it is such a um, full and complete 
feeling piece. Yes. It feels like you're watching a novel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she, uh, one of the quotes I have from her, she said, I was deeply moved by Southern literature and African-American literature, particularly Toni Morrison and the Latin American magical realism of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Uh, One of my favorite authors. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, both Morrison and Marquis use magical realism to such amazing effect, and that was the language I naturally spoke. It reminded me of a certain way my mind worked and had always kind of worked since I was a little kid. It felt like a very natural way of telling a story, which it does. I, I've only read I've only read Jazz by Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. but like when she mentioned Morrison, I haven't read uh, Gabrielle, uh, but when she mentioned like Toni Morrison, I was like, yes, like I kind of get exactly what this movie is trying to do. And you're right, it like does feel it feels like an adaptation in a lot of ways because of that because it's got a lot of characters Mm -hmm. in a big extended family yes all of the characters feel very fleshed out Mm -hmm. um it feels like i know their histories and the way they relate to each other Mm -hmm. it feels like i even know about like the way the town feels about some of these people Mm. you know it's like I feel like it gives me such a complete vision of a time and a place. Yeah. Not just this family, but the place they were in and the time they were in. And it feels like vignettes at times, too. Like, yeah. certain scenes, like, we don't necessarily think connect to anything. It just... It's it, that whole thing where the aunt uh, ends up falling for that other man. Yeah. And, you know, that almost feels like a side story in some way, but yeah. it is important to the overall fabric of the story that's yeah. being told. Yeah, because, like, the aunt is, like, she's referred to as a black widow in yeah. their community, and it's because... Because, like, all of her husbands have died so far, uh, which, like, all of them seem to have died, like, in tragic accidents or something. She, but... I mean, she quite literally believes she's cursed. Yeah, yeah, that's what she always says, yeah. um, which is really interesting. Um, and then the the other part of the story, too, at the beginning they talk about, it's called Eve's Bayou because it was, like, given to Eve, who, like, eventually is, like, a freed slave, like, this piece of land. Yep. And then they, like, at the beginning say, like, we are the children of Eve. Um, and it's, like, all of these people who are like related to this woman have like grown up in this community and it's such an interesting idea too and it takes place in like the 1950s Mm -hmm. Um, well and even because like down south you have it because it takes place on one of those what are they called like a southern estate kind of like one of those really big like you know southern gothic Mm -hmm. houses that you see in movies and stuff but you know like one of the things that i think most people are probably familiar with about the south is that like those homes, those big estates, they stayed in these like white slave owning mm-hmm. families for mm-hmm. generations. That's what they are. They're these generational estates. Mm-hmm. And so it's like very interesting to be watching this black family that's living in their own generational estate. Yeah. You know, it's like it feels like an interesting counter to kind of these quote unquote like classic American tales. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So good. So beautiful. Like, really beautiful. This isn't movie. a movie, like, based on, like, the synopsis, a movie that I feel like I would normally be drawn to, but I, there was something just, like, immediately, like, uh, I was like enthralled by this movie as soon as it started. Like, just the way people spoke and like how the storytelling like came about. Like, all of it was really beautiful. This is very much the kind of movie that I would probably actively not seek out. Yeah, uh, just based on it being like kind of a, a period family drama. I'm yeah, just like that. that's not. Yeah, that's just not my wheelhouse. I'm yeah. not into that really. But I, I was. I'm with you. I, I mean, I was like immediately. I mean. Samuel L. Jackson is kind of who brings you into this movie, mm-hmm. I think. You know, it like it very much starts feeling like it's about Eve and her father. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that to me is like the, the the movie's kind of initial hook. That's not totally what the movie's about, but kind of. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that Samuel L. Jackson is such a compelling actor, especially he's young here. You know, this mm-hmm. is kind of pre his actual like full on stardom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really it's very interesting to watch him as a younger man being such a gravitational force on screen mm. so immediately in his career, yeah. you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was just like, I was drawn in very immediately. And then the movie strays away from some of him and his character. And I, I thought was just great. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Really beautiful. Highly recommend Eve's Bayou. Very like, atmospheric too. Again, yeah. for like a directorial debut, like so much atmosphere in this movie. Like, yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah. Loves, yeah, loves the characters. Um, Smollett was fantastic in this as like a young oh, actress gosh. too. She's so good in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and, you know, just we don't do a lot of directing credits on our show. And it's very nice that because her career shifts into directing, I thought we were able to do this and watch yeah. this, you know? Me too. Um, yeah, and one note I have here too is that Eve's Bayou was the highest grossing independent film of 1997, which like Whoa, good for you. That's uh, awesome. For your for directorial debut yeah. and everything. Incredible that it's an independently financed movie, actually. Yeah. 
Um, in that same year, 97, she uh, is in a film called Gridlocked, starring Tim Roth, Tupac, and uh, Thandie Newton. Oh. Uh, two friends try to kick their drug addiction after a friend dies from an overdose. When they try to enroll in a detox program, things quickly go wrong. Ugh, that also sounds intense, but uh, yeah. I- I've seen none of the movies that Tupac was in. Me and neither. that's something I recently started getting interested in. Mm. He was such a cultural force in my youth that yeah. I just didn't really understand. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I would really like to see some of the movies he was in. Yeah. Um, and then she does a film called Liar's Dice. Uh, Teresa is a therapist who comes home from a long day at work as she tells uh, of her patient's story about a bizarre love triangle to her husband. Boyden, she is discovered... Uh, she discovers that she can no longer be a passive clinical observer because her own personal life is intertwined with her client's mysterious story. Sounds like a weird, sexy thriller. Does she play Teresa in it? Like, is she the no, main? No, she's not. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, then in uh, her films in the 2000s, uh, so for TV, she does um, ER. She directed episodes of Shots Fired and Nick Cage as well, which I thought was really interesting. Wait, what do you mean she directed Nick Cage? Uh, I don't know. Sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Uh, I just, like, totally fucked up that note, I think. Um in 2001, um, she directed a film called The Caveman's uh, Valentine, which again starred Samuel L. Jackson. Um, it's about a cave-dwelling man who sets out to track down the killer of a homeless boy and bring him to justice. Um, it sounds like a really interesting premise. Um, she... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting that she gets, like, Jackson to come back and continue working with her, you well, know? Like, the note I have here, she says, Sam Jackson asked me to do it. Um, I thought it would be really interesting to work with him again, and then I read the book, uh, the 1994 novel of the same title, and it was really speaking my language. Um, so I did think it was hmm. really interesting that uh, Sam Jackson specifically kind of, like, sought her out and was like, yes, like, I want want you to do this, which yeah. I think is really awesome. I, I mean, he, I guess he must have really liked working for her yeah. you know mm-hmm. yeah that's that is interesting um in 2006 uh she was in a film called waist deep and uh her what uh the show that she directed an episode is called luke cage luke cage that's the netflix series uh because i was thinking nick cage yeah, yeah yeah i thought i thought that was right but then i was like fuck i don't know maybe i just fucked up that she directed an episode of luke cage that was um one of the netflix marvel series yes. remember when netflix yeah. had those marvel shows yeah which i didn't watch his show but i yeah. watched uh the other one the i watched some of one. daredevil Oh, did you watch the one about the woman that is in Breaking Bad? Yes. Uh, yeah, I really like Jessica Jones. Some, yeah, Jessica Jones, uh, which that is amazing. And he plays like a pretty significant character in it. Um, oh, that's right. She, he's yeah. like kind of her love interest. Kind of. Yeah. They're like, yeah, they're like hooking up at the yeah. beginning of this movie, yeah. which is interesting, or TV show, which is interesting. Um, I'm not sure uh, what episode she directed of uh, his show, but she uh, pretty interesting. All sold out. All sold out. Cool. Yeah. Um,. Apologies for the interruption. No, that that was a good interruption. Um, so yeah, she does a film called Waist Deep in 2006, and she's just credited as Angry Black Woman. You gotta imagine like, that's when Ugh. she was like, "All right, I'm fucking done acting." I know. Yeah, I mean the the credits for acting get like much fewer and farther between at this point. Um, Waist Deep is about an ex-convict who gets tangled up in a gang after his car is hijacked with his son inside. These movies sound so intense. Yeah, I know. They all, like, stress me out. In 2007, she directed Talk to Me with Don Cheadle, uh, and I always mess this. I think it's, uh, Chuetel Elegifor. Chitwell yes. Elegifor. I'm not sure. Chuetel or Chitwell Elegifor. He's wonderful, and I feel Amazing terrible. Amazing actor, and I yeah. do not know how to pronounce his name. Um, and uh, it also has Martin Sheen in it, uh, which uh, seems like a pretty interesting film. Oh, uh, I remember when Talk to Me came out. This is a movie I really wanted to see. Mm. Um, Don Cheadle is somebody that, like, at this time was, like, huge on the rise. He was yeah. in tons of stuff. Uh, I was really into his career. I really wanted to see this movie. I never got around to it. Now that I know... Casey Lemons is who directed it. It's like, I definitely would like to see this movie. I remember this movie being like pretty well liked at the time too. Yeah. He plays a radio personality in the 1960s, uh, yeah. which uh, just feels pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And I, I love Don Cheadle. So I would love to watch that. Yeah. Um, 
In 2012, she was in Disconnect, uh, starring Jason Bateman, Alexander Skarsgård, and Andrea Riseborough. How have I never heard of this movie that stars all of these people I like? I feel like it might not be that good. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, And then in 2013, she directed Black Nativity with Forrest Whitaker, Angela Bassett, Jennifer Hudson, and Tyrese Gibson. Um, So, like, like, yeah, she's, like, directing stuff with, like, fantastic casts, too, and I haven't seen most of them, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. And then in uh, 2019, she directs Harriet, starring Cynthia Erivo from Widows and Bad Times at El Royale. We are huge fans of Cynthia Erivo. Yeah, we watched these movies pretty close together and saw both of them in theaters. And Bad Times, I think we saw first. I think so. And that one, we were like, holy shit, this woman is incredible. Um, And then when she like pops up in Widows, and she's not even like initially one of the main characters in Widows, I was like, oh my god, I'm so glad she's in this. Like, what? an amazing woman and I love that she's playing Harriet Tubman I think that's great she was nominated for best actress at the Oscars for her role as Harriet Tubman I we need to see this movie for sure yeah um she has this quote that I loved uh it says I'd say uh it's an adventure film about the early life of the young freedom-seeking Harriet Tubman you know she's a superhero hell yeah um I love it she's like look I know how I have to sell a fucking movie in 29 she's a superhero okay she's got a fucking cape like go see my movie but like she did a ton of research for this movie like she like really wanted to make sure she like got the like who Harriet Tubman was put that woman on screen which I yeah. love yeah um, I love when I know someone's done their research so <laughs> I would really love to see this movie um and then we get to her stuff in the 2020s. Um, there is like not a ton right now, but uh, there's a TV series that was announced that she'll be working on called Women of the Movement. Ooh. I believe she'll be directing um, at least some of that. And then she's filming a TV miniseries uh, called On Her Own Ground, the life story of C.J. Walker, an entrepreneur who built a beauty product empire at the turn of the century. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Um so I have some notes here about uh, her like life and career. So for the 2022 or 20, uh, 2002, 2002 Oscar telecast, Casey directed a touching tribute to Sidney Poitier. Uh, she was also involved in an exploration of the roles and representation of black women in film for the 2003 Tribeca Film Festival. Cool. Uh, for the past 14 years, she has been uh, on a on the board for the Film Independent and has contributed to Film Independent's Filmmaker Labs as a speaker and moderator. Uh, she also continues to serve as an administrator, on an advisor uh, to the Sundance Screenwriter and Filmmaker Labs. Uh, and she guest lectures uh, and does speaking engagements, um, including uh, Yale University, Columbia Film School, MIT, UCLA, USC, uh, the Los Angeles Film School, and the University of Pristinia uh, um, Film School in Kosovo. So she does a ton of uh, work like speaking and, and teaching. Um, she's currently, uh, she, currently she is an associate arts professor at the New York University's um, Tisch School of the Arts. Tisch School, I think. Um she has a quote here as a teacher uh well it's part of a quote part of like an interview as a teacher she has the chance to quote help participate in the education of women filmmakers and interesting filmmakers and filmmakers of color and she describes that the experience is a way for her to live in an optimistic future i want them to be inspired to stay positive and focused because that's what it takes um she says it's pre perseverance and stamina and a love and interest in the process that's wonderful Uh, i feel like she's a wonderful teacher (laughs) yeah that's like a great quote that is so i mean to live in an optimistic future for that to be the desire to teach and provide opportunities for like other women of color and stuff like that's incredible um and lemons uh resides in harlem with her husband and their children nice yeah She's so cool. She's super cool. I mean, she's like, uh, I was talking to my buddy Dan, who I do a podcast with about her, and he was just like, oh, she's like legendary. Yeah. Like, having been in stuff like Hard Target and Silence of the Lambs, and went on to direct, and her first thing is Eve's Bayou. Yeah. And then makes that Harriet. He's like, she's like legendary status. This like yeah. young black woman that gets to be in these like kind of weird movies, and then it's just like 
fuck all this. I'm going to direct my own movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like thinking, you know, I just talked about that rape revenge I watched too. And I was like, oh man, female directors in the nineties wild. Yeah, and then yeah. it was like, oh, black female directors in the nineties. Cause I also watched like watermelon woman right. like earlier last year and really enjoyed that. So it's like also nice to, to feel like I'm watching more of these films and realizing yeah. like, you know, there weren't a lot of these filmmakers at the time, but it, they were making like fantastic stuff yeah. and like important stuff. Stuff. Yeah, and stuff that like we should be talking about more. Stuff yes. that like it's this it's why it's good to do things like this where it's like we should get more people finding out that there are movies like Fear of a Black yes. Hat. Like I'm a mid thirties white dude that would very much want to see Fear of a Black Hat. I should know yeah, about it. You know I what agree. I mean? Um, some of the sources I used, uh, Sisterhood Cinema, uh, BelieverMag.com, uh, uh, Complex.com, FilmIndependent.org, and TheAtlantic.com all had, like, different information and interviews with Casey. Um, there's also a lot of, like... Um, YouTube videos of her like speaking and she's just such like a wonderful speaker. I like love listening to her. She's so, so interesting. Such a presence. Well, I'm very glad that we decided to do her because like I said, I did not know her by name going into this. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Very nice too. And I mean, I got to see some movies that I would have wanted to see anyway, which was a lot of fun too. Very cool. Um, So, and she just, she was awesome. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, I think that'll wrap up uh, this old buzzy buzz. Do you know who we're doing next? Uh, I believe we're going to do Peter Weller next. Hell yeah. I decided to put... You just move... surprised me with that. That was a beautiful surprise. I decided to move a couple there. people up the list because we had just like watched some of their movies anyway. And I'm yeah. like, fuck it. Let's do it. Uh, so we're going to do him next. Fuck yeah. Uh, very which should excited. be pretty fun. Yes. Very excited. Um. Yeah, um, cool. I have a I have a couple things I would like to shout out if that's oh, okay. Please, quickly. of course, it's your podcast to do that with. Um, one of them is uh, I'm currently wearing a Josie and the Pussycats uh, baseball tee that I got from Super Yaki. Uh, if you don't follow them, they're amazing. They make tons of like specifically film uh, t-shirts, but a lot of them are like women focused. Like uh, they have like a Be Nice to Kelly Marie Tran shirt that Hell I yeah. love. Uh, there's a picture that just surfaced of her boyfriend wearing that which I think is the cutest thing ever um there's like uh, I also have a shirt from them that's like directed by um Karen Kasamo Kasamo. like so they have like a lot of cool like women focused stuff really into them um and then also I uh there's a podcast that uh I've been talking to the host a little bit uh and she does a podcast called plug it up which is a podcast about the monstrous menstruation trope in horror um her name's Caitlin Grant uh, so you should definitely also look into that she's very cool we just had like a really awesome conversation today and Hell I was yeah. like I should promote her podcast yeah it's awesome uh, yeah that's great mm-hmm. uh, I as long as we're doing that I was just by the time you're hearing this I was on a podcast called let's take a stab at it talking about the original black Christmas mm-hmm. um, and I uh, had a ton of fun with them it was a really fun time so look that up uh, and uh, look us up everywhere on the internet at yeah. uh, killer bees podcast that's killer bs podcast everywhere online from moviejohn.com, J-A-W-N, Philadelphia style. Uh, you can find me everywhere at Philadelphia. Look up my letterbox to follow me there. Uh, follow me on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, my plugs. Yeah, I'm Tori Potenza. You can follow me on Instagram and on uh, Letterboxd. And you can follow our Twitter, which is uh, the only reason I'm on Twitter, really, right. is yes. to, to be on our <laughs> on our account. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Buzz, buzz. Buzz.